0: ninjas calling all ninjas it's time for lime
1: ninja radio today on lime ninja radio
0: and so and that's what that is so mast cell activation syndrome I tell my clients isn't the problem the flushing or the hives or the food reactions these are the body's best coping mechanism but We don't want to just dampen down those symptoms and leave the underlying issues alone.
1: This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns, that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans, and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 251 with naturopath Beth O'Hara. And welcome, our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Miss Aurora.
2: Hello, everybody. And in this episode, you're going to learn at least three things. Hopefully more. (laughs) Hopefully more. It's It's a very informative. And long. And long, but mostly informative. But let's start with these three things. Why it's important to start with elimination when starting to detox, what glucuronidation is, and why it's the most important part of detoxification, and how toxicity activates your mast cells.
1: Thanks, Aurora. And a big shout out to all you longtime Lyme Ninjas. You're the reason we have more than half a million downloads. Aurora and I really appreciate you tuning in. And we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there especially those of you in Paris. we have noticing that somebody in Paris has got very excited about Lime Ninja Radio. So welcome.
2: You are now officially a Lime Ninja.
1: Yes, indeed.
2: And as you all know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. And besides Paris, we've had listeners tune in from Santiago, Chile to Kolkata, India.
1: Thanks, Aurora. And tell us a little bit about this week's guest, our good friend, Beth O'Hara.
2: Beth O'Hara is a functional naturopath specializing in complex chronic health conditions related to mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance. Beth is certified in functional genomic analysis and is a research advisor for the Neutrogenic Research Institute. She presents at functional medicine conferences on mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance, as well as training functional medicine practitioners in the use of genetics and biochemistry in these chronic health conditions. She holds a doctorate in functional naturopathy. Yes. Nate, okay, thank goodness. A master's degree in marriage and family therapy and a bachelor's degree in physiological psychology. And before we get started with the interview, I have a vocab question for you. You guys get started right off the bat with talking about cell danger response. Now, what is cell danger response? Well,
1: the reason we're talking about such an obscure topic is it was brought up at Bob Miller's conference where Beth and I both presented. It was uh, The presentation was done by Neil Nathan, and he's working to make Robert Navio's research on the cell danger response understandable to us mere mortals. The research is incredibly dense, but basically… The cell danger response explains in detail why our immune systems, our cells get activated, reactivated by usually by an external source, but it can be internal too. It can be something like PTSD and then get stuck, right? The cells feel like they're in danger and then they keep feeling like they're in danger. And oftentimes there's a low-level chronic exposure to mold or a chronic infection like Lyme disease, or it could be PTSD where you're reliving an event over and over again. So there's some outside continual response, but that prevents the body from relaxing, from getting into the resolution phases of the immune system where things calm down and cool off. So that's the fundamental concept behind that. Does that help?
2: Yeah. So it's your body's inability to go down from DEF CON four.
1: Exactly. Okay. And the cell danger response theory gets into excruciating detail about what's going on on the biochemical level there.
2: Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and with that.
1: Oh, before we jump into this interview. The reason I brought Beth on is to talk about detoxification. It's such a big issue with Lyme disease, and she's an expert in detoxification and works with the most sensitive of people and people with extreme mast cell activation and extreme sensitivities that they have to go little by little. And some of those people are you out there with Lyme disease because, again, your body's in the cell danger response. So she brings a wealth of information to that. You have to be able to detox before you do anything else. This is part of our Lyme Journey Roadmap. This is preparing for treatment. Before you go kill off a bunch of bugs or attempt to do that or not detoxify, to clean out your colon, something like that, start taking a new probiotic, you have to be able to detox what your body's response is or the die-off from the bacteria or parasites or whatever is dying off there. If your detox pathways are not working properly, you're not gonna be able to feel very good and could get worse. And this includes the drugs you're taking, antibiotics perhaps. You, your detox pathways need to work to flush out the chemicals that you're taking in. So this is critically, critically important part of your Lyme journey and should be the first part. And if you're not detoxing well, if you're not getting better, you need to go back to this step before you try any more killing therapies. Hello, Beth. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio.
0: Hi, McKay. I'm so excited to be back with you. We're going to talk about some really cutting-edge things that I think are going to be a game-changer for a lot of listeners.
1: That's awesome. I love when you do my job for me and introduce the topic, (laughs) or hint, you're teasing the topic. (laughs) So before we get into that game-changing information... Why don't you remind people about your story? We've interviewed before, but I think it's important to start fresh so people don't have to search for the old interview. And so who is Beth? Who is Beth?
0: Sure. Well, today I'm a functional naturopath and I specialize in mass activation syndrome and histamine intolerance and related conditions. So when this arises with mold toxicity, with chronic Lyme, autism spectrum disorders, and I run uh, and own Mass Cell 360, which is my private practice and online practice, and I work remotely around the world. So that's me today, but that wasn't me 10 or 15 years ago. So I was pretty ill from childhood. Um, I Grew up in the country, I had many, many tick bites. I'm sure I had Lyme at a young age. We lived in a farmhouse in the country and what we learned later, we didn't know at the time, was that farmhouse was completely full of black mold. And I lived there for 10 years until I moved out and went to college. And my health just kept going downhill. We went my mother would take me to physicians of course they didn't really know what to do. I had clear mass activation syndrome at a young age. I had hives. We were always picking green beans you know snapping those you know how that goes when you live out in the country or on a farm and canning those for um, for the winter and I would be snapping the green beans and I would end up completely covered in hives and itching head to toe.' It was You're constantly allergic to green beans. I You know, I don't know if it was the green beans or if it was the pollen, but I know now green beans are a lectin, which is a mast cell trigger. So I'm not exactly sure what it is. I don't really snap green beans these days. (laughs) (laughs) but
1: Once was enough, huh?
0: (laughs) I've got my life full of snapping green beans for sure. I used to have to feed the chickens, and um, it was my job to take the corn feed out and throw the corn out to the chickens, and if I put my hands in the corn to toss it, I would end up covered in hives.
1: So one thing, I'm gonna pause here, one thing that I've been learning about the immune system and all these allergies, autoimmune type of things, if your immune system is turned on, and in this case by chronic mold, so your immune system turned on, and you're inflamed, and it's trying to battle the mold that's trying to colonize you, then, These normal biological molecules, food-based things, and even your own self tissue, your own body's tissue can get presented to the immune system as foreign, as dangerous. Your body's not able to downregulate that part of the immune system. So you're much more susceptible to getting autoimmune disease, to having allergies, things like that. Brutal. Exactly.
0: That is so true. Fortunately, Autoimmunity never got turned on for me but there was a period of time when it was quite suspected so when I got into college my health continued to not be great now I didn't know much about health back then I mean this was over 20 years ago I was eating out of vending machines and having ramen for dinner so I, there was a lot of gluten a lot of sugar I would have Coca-Cola for breakfast not Dump. exactly right <laughs> The <laughs> was yeah. not helping what
1: were you thinking
0: I don't Police know it was lunch. cheap I didn't have any money I was in college I was oh, putting myself God. through college so so I had I had a couple scholarships to go to medical schools and I had to turn those down and that had been my dream McKay, since I was six years old when I was six I decided I was going to be a doctor and That was the most devastating thing, was to not be able to fulfill that dream because of my health. And I didn't know what else I was gonna do. But it took me on a winding journey, and I'm now so grateful that that happened because I would have been a traditional physician. I wanted to be a neurologist. But traditional medicine was failing me over and over, so I had been put on a lot of allergy medications And in the vein that you were just talking about with that immune response, we need that mast cell immune response to kill off pathogens. That's what the mast cells are there to do. So these allergy medications that were dampening down my mast cell response were prolonging and even worsening the underlying chronic infections. And I, we didn't know at the time. I mean, we didn't know about cell danger response 20 years ago. And so, and that's what that is. So mast cell activation syndrome, I tell my clients, isn't the problem, the flushing or the hives or the food reactions. These are the body's best coping mechanism. But we don't want to just dampen down those symptoms and leave the underlying issues alone. And that was my path to healing. It took a long time, and I was figuring out on my own because I'd seen over 50 practitioners. I calculated up. Last calculation now, I'd spent over $150,000, and I tried everything, McKay. I did everything I could do in traditional medicine. I did holistic medicine. I did homeopathy. I did naturopathy, the best that people knew at that time. I did psychotherapy because I've been told many times that because my labs look normal, I must be crazy, on and on. And what many people listening to this are probably familiar with. And it wasn't until I hit the end of the road, I was debilitated. I was bedridden. I couldn't work. And I'm a pretty high-driven, you know, high-energy person. So it was really hard to not be able to get out of bed until 2 o'clock. And the best I could do that day would be to unload the dishwasher. And if I got it unloaded, loading it was gonna happen the next day. wasn't gonna happen that same day. I had frequent panic attacks, anxiety. I mean, I don't know who that sick doesn't have anxiety and depression. And I went to the best functional medicine doctor I could get my hands on. And he was an hour drive away and somehow got myself to his office And I've been working with him for about four years at this point. And he said, Beth, we've done everything I know to do for you. And um, we've kind of reached the end of the road. I don't have anything else. You're reacting to everything I give you. It doesn't make sense to me. L-glutamine's making you anxious. Curcumin's making you more inflamed. None of this makes sense, and I, I don't know where to go with it. And I appreciated his honesty, but that was probably the second most devastating Thing that's happened in my life because if he didn't have answers, who does? Where am I going to go? And I decided at that point, I was already a health coach in a uh, before I became debilitated, working on my own health issues and seeing other people get well way ahead of me. And I decided I'm going to have to become a full blown practitioner to figure this out. So I started studying genetic analysis, and boom. My glutamine reactions made sense. My curcumin reactions made sense. I was overmethylated, high levels of glutamate, histamine intolerance variants across the board, and that was back when we just had about 60 genetic variants to look at. So this was about eight years ago, and it just kind of expanded from there, and I became a naturopath, and... I, what I'm so happy to tell you, McKay, is with this root cause approach, with the genetic analysis you and I work with, and working with the cell danger response model of looking at what are the underlying toxins and pathogens that are causing these symptoms, I have my life back. I no longer have to walk with a cane. I don't have joint pain. I have, a, I have been down to about... Twenty foods. I have a really expanded diet these days. I can walk about two miles, go for a hike, take my dogs for a walk, and I run this busy practice, and I can work full time. So that's been a huge turnaround. I mean, I don't even recognize my former life. And when I tell the stories, it almost—it feels like I'm talking about someone else's life, almost.
1: Well, you—you are.
0: Yeah, that's true. Really, that's true.
1: It's transformation. Right. Just. This is kind of out of nowhere, but when I was sitting, when we were at the Denver conference, and Neil Nathan was talking about the cell danger response, I was transported back 30 years ago when I was sitting in front of my teachers in acupuncture school. And at acupuncture school, the the training, we only talked about getting to the root cause over and over and over again and try and distinguish between what's a symptom and what's closer to the root and how deep can you go to find out the root cause. And it was so interesting to hear that paradigm combined with the technical biochemistry stuff because really, at that point we're saying, and this is in the the early 90s, we're saying there's no way, medicine focuses on the individual things, and we focus on the big picture at the root cause. So met, let medicine do its thing, and we're gonna do our thing. And this is the first time I heard any attempt to really bring those together at a, at a serious level. And so where the root cause is different, so we all know there's a root cause like, you know, Lyme disease or mold activating uh, different pathways. But this whole cell danger response is also about the timing of the healing and that that matters as well. And it it's just an incredible paradigm shift, excuse me for talking geek nerdy, words but it, it really is if if this gets hold if people begin to understand even a little bit if this changes the way medicine is done medicine is done even a little bit it really is going to help so many people who are stuck and just it's so encouraging and it's so difficult concept to grasp because you know what it, it, there's shades of gray there're lots of shades of gray probably more than 50
0: <laughs> well that's where <laughs> that's where we go into everything has to be individualized and I completely agree with you McKay this is this is the cutting edge this is the most powerful viewpoint or approach that we have available to us is that we have to look at what's the absolute most root cause bring that piece in from what eastern medicine already has known for centuries and combine the science of what we have from Western medicine applications. And when we put those together, then we can start to de- design these individual protocols for people that really, really work. And one of the things that always strikes me is that in healthcare, if someone has someone's protocols or approach helps 80% of people that walk in through the door that's considered the gold standard. That's considered excellent, the top of the top. And then I go, well, what about the other 20%? And that was me. And that's why I'm so passionate about it because I was the other 20% and everybody's protocol failed. And that's, to me, that's not good enough. I think that's, that's okay. And I'm glad we've gotten there, but we have the ability to go further than that. And that's what I specialize in. I know you specialize in McKay's that Twenty percent. This we have to have individual protocols for those people,
1: you, and look you're at being generous. <laughs> with the twenty percent. A good a number I heard a while ago is a good drug. Uh, it's successful in about forty percent, so misses sixty percent. Um, right. I mean that's just, just the numbers, the numbers are crazy. But that's that's again, that's generic medicine. That's the old paradigm. That's the way of let's find out what works for the entire population. And as we, you know, change locations and live in different climates where we were born and marry across racial lines and things like that, the genetics is like a toss salad. It's not recognizable. It's not, the old patterns don't hold true. And we've lost grandma. Grandma's around to tell us what we should be eating and what we should be doing and what works for our family. So it's just, we are back to square one. And in some ways, it's extremely painful for people like you trying to find their health. On the other ways, it's exciting and forcing us to come up with personalized medicine and to move away from the generics you know first pass generics is okay but you know there's that there's a great book uh your body's many cries for water and i can't can never pronounce the author's name and he's in his practice his first prescription is send people home and tell them to drink eight glasses of water a day and a pinch of salt and -hmm. then if they're still sick come back and see me in two weeks Mm -hmm. so you know at the first pass of medicine is the generic path. And he says most of the people get better or half, something like half. Right. But right. if you can cure half the people with a glass of water, what are we giving them meds for?
0: Exactly. Right. So we've got, and those meds aren't for the most part, you know, with the exception of things like anti malarials or something that maybe necessary for extreme acute infection, they're not dealing with the root pieces. They're just covering up symptoms. And when we just cover up symptoms, we make underlying toxicity and pathogens worse. And so we've got to go to that level. We have to deal with it at that level. And that's where the big difference is. So that's why you know people come in and I ask them in my intake forms, how many glasses of water do you drink? What's your water source? What's your air source? Give me a three-day food diet. How much are you eating organic? What's conventional? So we can look at the highest pesticide residues. So we have to start there with the basics. I'm right there with you, McKay. And then we build from there.
1: Now, speaking of detoxification, I wanted to talk to you about what you presented at the Denver Conference. And that's part of phase two detoxification. So most people know phase one is basically you take these super toxic and fat-soluble substances in the body and the body breaks them down to water-soluble, which is easier for the body to excrete, but they're more dangerous. So they have to be quickly then resolved from phase two and bound up and then excreted through the bile, through the stomach, and into the intestines, and on out through your toilet. So that's that's the detox pathway in a very small nutshell. And you were talking about something called glucuronidation. Am I pronouncing that correct?
0: You've got it, yeah. It took me a number of tries to get that down. <laughs> glucuronidation, that's it.
1: What is glucuronidation?
0: Yeah, so let me... Paint the picture also that. So in this phase two detox pathway you're talking about, we have six main reactions that go on. And so most people have heard of, uh, if they're in this world, they know about glutathione.
1: Glutathione, Glutathione,
0: yep, gets a lot of attention. Very important. Methylation gets a lot of attention. We have acetylation. We have amino acid conjugation. We have glycination, and then we have glucuronidation. So, you know, when Bob Miller asked me what I wanted to present on at that conference, which detox pathway, I thought, well, I don't know a lot about glucuronidation, and there's not much written out there, you know, in toxicology courses and detox courses it maybe got a couple paragraphs so this will be easy to cover (laughs) it won't take oh my gosh mckay so when i started diving into this paper after paper after paper said that glucuronidation is the most important detox pathway i'm like why isn't why isn't this in our courses Why aren't people out there talking about this as much as methylation and glutathione? I don't know. But I'm on a mission here to change that because understanding this transforms how we work with toxicity, especially around Lyme and mycotoxins and these things that people are really struggling with for a long time.
1: So why is it the most important, Beth?
0: So glucuronidation is involved in 40 to 75% or even more of all toxin elimination.
1: All righty then, that explains it.
0: (laughs) So 40 to 75% or more are the estimates because there are toxins. We still don't know how they're detoxed. We don't know what the pathways are yet. There are mycotoxins. We're not clear on the pathways yet. But glucuronidation is involved in quite a lot of mycotoxin detoxification in breaking down hormones like estrogens, testosterone, thyroid hormones. It breaks down fatty acids, fat soluble vitamins like vitamin A, D, E, and K. It breaks down salicylates. And so some people have heard of or may have salicylate sensitivity where they react to high salicylate foods, which would be like blueberries and macadamias. A lot of herbs are high salicylate, so that can be a reason people have supplement reactions. And it also breaks down serotonin and melatonin. And when these things build in our systems and they can't go through the glucuronidation pathway, that's going to stimulate more mast cell activation. Those toxins are going to be, instead of getting bound up, in the glucuronidation process to make them less toxic, they're gonna stay in the more toxic form. And this is one of the reasons that a lot of Lyme and mycotoxin protocols when they're failing for people or people are having bad Herx reactions, this is one of the reasons why.
1: That makes so much sense. And I have a question you may not have an answer to. So with you know, my interest is in the nitric oxide world and the NOS enzymes. So they they work together as a team. So there are three NOS enzymes and then there's a separate pathway. We don't need to get into it, but all you need to know is they kind of work as a team. Do these detox pathways work together? Like if your glucuronidation isn't working 100%, does some of that fall over to like the glutathione pathway or are they silos where things can only go down one channel?
0: That's a Fantastic question. It depends on the toxin in question, the chemical structure. So we get down to the chemical level. The way these pathways work is you have, say, glutathione. It has to bind to a chemical. So there has to be like a lock and key kind of fit for that. And that's what determines what gets um, conjugated is what it's called. But what gets detoxed by that pathway in glucuronidation, we have gluconorides, and that's what conjugates. So that's kind of a big word there, but it just means those molecules involved in glucuronidation bind with the toxin and help make it less toxic so it can be excreted. So some, there are some overlaps in some toxins where other pathways can take the load, but some things there are not. And then these phase two detox pathways aren't all running simultaneously, separately. They feed back. So glucuronidation feeds in. And then once something goes through glucuronidation, it can go through acetylation.
1: Okay. So they're serial, not parallel, one after another and not at the same time.
0: Some, yeah, it's it's quite complex, and I haven't seen any source. And I worked really hard this year on that presentation to map these things out. I haven't seen any clear source that's showing. Toxin
1: by toxin, right? Right. I mean, I suppose you could do families, and they could do computer simulations, but wow.
0: Right. Mm. So there's quite a lot of work still to be done in this area. It's a really exciting place. I think I'm going to work on application, <laughs> work with clients here. But um, yeah, so it's it's super exciting. And then what you were talking about earlier is once once these toxins get broken down, then they get excreted through the kidneys into the urine, or through with the bile into the intestines. And so when I'm working on a detox protocol and this glucuronidation piece has transformed how I'm stepping people through when they're dealing with mycotoxins, when they're dealing with Lyme, we have to start with that elimination phase and make sure that's optimized. We have to make sure the bile support is optimized before we ever go to increasing glutathione, increasing glucuronidation, increasing methylation and then we have to support those phase 2 pathways before
1: phase 1 so do you literally start with elimination and their bowel movements do you start there I you do. start with the bile yeah so if they and then so what do you consider optimal for going to the bathroom
0: number 2 <laughs> it's a good question um, when people are working with pathogens or any kind of toxicity I really encourage people in need to have a daily bowel movement.
1: Just, okay, one. You're not one of those three, four times a day people.
0: I worry when we get up that high if we're losing nutrients. So, you know, I'm always looking for balance, looking for middle of the road. But I, I really ask people to make sure they're having one bowel movement a day. Ideally, it's not hard stool. So we work with enough water consumption. We start there we work with uh, magnesium as needed to support the bowel movement sometimes vitamin c and i work a lot with the mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance population so we can't use ascorbic acid we have to use vitamin c that won't raise histamine levels so it's usually sorbal palmitate or i like really like camu camu powder but
1: and we will, do will that stimulate the bowels though because isn't part of the Bile stimulation, a little bit of histamine release? Well,
0: hormones? it can be. So we have to balance it. And that's okay. why we don't want to go into loose stools. So oh, if yeah. people are getting loose stools or diarrhea, they're getting too much histamine yeah. release. So we're looking for a normal stool. Yeah. Okay. So
1: Bristol stool hey, The, the four. wonderful chart. <laughs> we I can't get, get that, those images out of my head.
0: Right? <laughs> and then I work with optimizing all of that before we ever get to antimicrobials. So what I've seen again and again, people come into my practice, and they usually come into my practice after they've been with, they've tried 5, 10, 15 practitioners. They keep falling through the cracks. Things aren't working. So I had this client, her, I'll call her Janet, because I'm not going to use her real name. And she had really significant mycotoxin it, and mycotoxin levels and a history of Lyme and Bartonella. And she'd worked with me for a while, and then she found a practitioner who was specializing just in mold, and she wanted to work with her and see if she could go a little faster. And I said, you know, that's great. Give it a try. See what happens. If you get stuck, come on back. So she came back about, I think it was about nine months later, and she was worse than the last time I'd seen her. Ouch. And the problem was, and this is a really good practitioner, so it's not that. It's that this woman has mass activation syndrome, and when you have mass activation syndrome, we can't do these aggressive killing protocols. And what I find is that most of us with mycotoxins and Lyme have mass activation syndrome. So many times, when people are getting worse on the killing protocols, if that. Herx reaction goes on for more than two days. Often we're in a mast cell response at that point. And she, when she came back, she was having trouble getting out of bed. She was having trouble taking care of her kids. She couldn't think clearly. She was having awful headaches and her gut was really a mess. And she was having worse and worse food reactions. So I looked at the protocol and it was extremely antimicrobial heavy without the de- enough detox support so all we did was pull back the antimicrobials support the detox support and she had glucuronidation issues that hadn't been addressed and so we we went back to to basics we upped the water we supported the phase uh, three detox we got the binders on board making sure she didn't get constipated then we supported the glutathione and the glucuronidation. In about okay. three weeks, okay. she felt great.
1: Oh, wow. Can I pause it yeah. there, though, on the binders? Yeah. So what? What is? how often are you using binders? Are you using them daily for somebody like that or less?
0: If we've got – so I'm typically using them daily Okay. at this stage.
1: And are you worrying about spacing them with food and all that craziness or just, like, get them in there and bind them?
0: Definitely spacing them. them. Okay. No, because the binders – I know you know this, McKay, the binders bind up supplements and medications, so we have to be really careful about that. I tell people they can have the binders um, with us if they need to. Some people can't do intermittent fasting um, because of where they are, and so if they need to, they can have a snack around the time, but not to take them with meals. So I tell people binders need to be taken one hour before foods, meds, or supplements two hours after foods, meds, or supplements.
1: Do you ever have people have to like wake up in the middle of the night to take them because they've got so much meds they have to take and things like that?
0: I do have people that I don't have them set an alarm and wake up because sleep's so important, but I have people, it's really, really common in histamine intolerance and mast cell activation syndrome to wake up at 3 a.m., because that's or around that time frame, because that's when our highest histamine levels are naturally. Really? And so um, if people have that regular waking while we're working on their sleep cycles, they can take their, their binders when they wake up at that time in the middle of the night. I just don't want to disturb their sleep to take them.
1: So 3 a.m. in Chinese medicine is liver. Right, yeah. As liver begins to peak. That's interesting. And one of the things that happens... With the liver, is uh, liver fire rising as a syndrome? So, this is heat coming up and out to the surface that's uncontrolled.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I people often of
1: relating histamine to liver, but it makes sense.
0: Yeah. And people often feel a little, they get flushing with the high histamine. Mm-hmm. So, I think that correlates with that heat. So, I think we're oh, talking about the same things there. too at night, right? Mm mm-hmm. hmm.
1: Thank you for that. (laughs) Pearl. You've enriched my acupuncture practice.
0: Oh, I'm so glad we could we can have these conversations. I always learn a lot.
1: I want to drop a herx idea on you. And I think there are actually two kinds of herxes. So one is the toxicity kind of herx that you're talking about, where it, it goes on too long, right? where things build up, where the mast cells get activated, where the body can't get rid of the byproducts of killing of the bacteria. So that's kind of the general thought about HERX. I also think that HERX could be the immune system waking up, particularly phase one immune system waking up. So we all, we've all had the flu when there's nothing else going on and you just feel terrible. Matter of fact, the HERX symptoms are flu-like symptoms, right, for the most part. And there's nothing wrong with the person, right? There's nothing wrong with you. You're just immune systems working. So I would like to just toss that out there, that the HERX may be just your immune system waking up. But again, the important part, which you brought out so beautifully, Beth, is that it should resolve. <laughs> this right. This is not something right. that goes on for days and days and days. That's not a HERX. That's something else. And- the other thing is that you're kind of the cooling, the resolving function of your immune system and your body and the detoxification. It does need a little bit of fire to get it going. It's like, you know, to cool things off, to set off the sprinkler, there does need to be a little bit of heat.
0: Yes. And I think this is just really brilliant work you've been doing. McKay is looking at these different branches of the immune system and how They express themselves and when they're important and how that ties in with the cell danger response we're talking about. And so when we're differentiating and, and I think you can describe that, um, type one or TH one response a little bit better, The what the, we're looking for there, but what we're not looking for, what we don't want is a lot of flushing, swelling, we don't want um, rashes. We don't want the gut to be getting worse. We don't want a lot of headaches. Um, so I, I look for those mast cell type reactions that are telling us that the mast cells are getting overstimulated, overreactive, and we're pushing them too hard. So to kind of zoom out just in case people, mast cells are new to people, these are the cells that are the frontline defenders of the immune system that protect us from toxins protect us from pathogens and so they're kind of like the guards to the castle and so toxins and pathogens are coming in towards the castle which is your body the mast cells are there to isolate them to fight them off and call in the other immune cells to do the job but when the mast cells get dysregulated as they can easily with long standing chronic infections Or chronic toxicity, or even in really heavy killing protocols, then instead of just shooting at the enemies when they come in, they start shooting at the butterflies. And this is where we get these kind of mast cell activation syndrome reactions. We don't want to let that go on for long because once a mast cell cascade gets going, where the mast cells trigger the surrounding mast cells, trigger the surrounding mast cells, that can take months to burn out because mast cells live a very long time. So sometimes when people have done a lot of mycotoxin or mold or lime killing protocols and it looks like the mold toxins are gone, the lime toxins, and the, the lime pathogens are gone, but they're still really sick, often it's mast cell activation syndrome that's burning out of control at this point. It may not be it residual infection.
1: You know, I'm so geeking out here right now. I'm loving it. And what's interesting, so one of the other sentinel cells in the body in the immune system is the macrophage. Now, unlike what you're saying about the mast cells, the macrophage can switch off and move to healing mode fairly quickly. And you're saying that the you know the histamine response in the and the mast cells can stay activated for months. So that's one that I, I've got to look into, like the difference in how the the crosstalk between mast cells and macrophages, and actually the the T helper response to the TH 1th two, and see how that all fits together. Because that's that's really really interesting. I didn't realize that the mast cells kind of get cranked up and then they have a hard time standing down. That's Awesome. Man,
0: it can take a scary. long time. Yeah. It can be. You know, I was in a car accident a few years ago, and it, I was T-boned, and it was, you know, it wasn't horrible, but it was more than just a bump, and I had a concussion. And the first couple of weeks, I thought it was fine. And I mean, I was sore, but I thought, you know, after I get over this concussion, I'm going to be okay. And the inflammation kept increasing for a year. And each month, the inflammatory response was worse and worse and worse. So with these kind of mast cell reactions, we've got to get ahead of them. That was my biggest lesson learned there. So you got to get ahead of the mast cell reaction from those kinds of injuries or before that cascade gets going
1: the immune system responds to PAMPs and DAMPs. So pathogen, I forget the exact terminology, but it's like pathogen-associated molecules, right? And then there's damage-associated molecules. So it gets started either way, right? So you have some damage done, right? And then the inflammation doesn't resolve, and the inflammation damages more cells. And so if you get any sort of ATP leaking out into the cytoplasm that just gets the immune system crazy because that's a sign that something's there that shouldn't be there a a virus or a bacteria or any other invader and so the immune system gets cranked up so you've got this you have this slow rolling escalation of your immune system over a year and we don't you know we think of the immune system as jumping in and getting fired up really really quickly right in a couple days but not over a year, but yet here you have this happening. That's that's incredible.
0: right. It took two and a half years for me to turn the corner on that accident because I didn't get ahead of it fast enough.
1: So how did you let's go off track here. What, what did you do? what did was it any one thing or is it just staying after it, staying after it, staying after it?
0: You know, it was really working on I t- I, I have a very clean diet. But I had to take the lectins out because they're mast cell triggers. I had to take them out at that point. I had to tighten up on oxalates because oxalates can stimulate more mast cell reaction. And then I had to work really hard on stabilizing those mast cells. So the approach for that is different than if somebody's working on killing pathogens off and we need that mast cell response. So then we don't work as hard and heavy on stabilizing the mast cells early on we do that later in the protocol but for me at that point in time i had to bring those mast cell stabilizing supports on board the boswellia the chinese skull cap dan um and it's you know so many and i don't want to lay out you know because everything's individualized i don't invite you to take it and just go well if i do that it's going to work for me because it won't it was personalized to what I was doing, but I was very rigorous. I made sure I was optimizing my sleep. I didn't eat in restaurants for a long time. It I really didn't travel come down much. To food, doesn't it?
1: A lot does. Yes. I mean, there there are environmental things too, but eating is inflammatory. And if you're fired up, then you've really got to be careful.
0: And I really did intermittent fasting. Yeah. <clears throat> very strictly intermittent fasting. It's, and that helped too.
1: Yeah. It, it gives the system a chance to calm down and cool down right 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 and, and just shut down for a little while It just we need that so much When we're sick that was the thing that made, turned the corner for me and i did a modified fast i ate salad and uh olive oil for just for two days but that fast was uh made such a major difference uh in my healing just turned things around so quickly it was incredible
0: Right, yeah. And sometimes I'll bring that in for somebody if they're really flared up. We might do a short-term um, elemental diet. We might do um, – usually people, if they've got HPA axis issues, adrenal, what we call adrenal fatigue, we don't want to do a water fast because they're not strong enough for that. They're not ready for that. But a modified fast like you're talking about. And I, I, I want to shift back to this glucuronidation Oh, and <laughs> we,
1: kind of, we went down every other pathway except glucuronidation.
0: <laughs> well, I wanted to share how people might know that they could have some issues with glucuronidation. What are some of the clues? Awesome. So some of the clues are if you're doing antimicrobials and you're feeling worse on the antimicrobials and it's not resolving quickly, then it may be the anti—what happens is when you use antimicrobials, they kill off— the pathogens and in that pathogen dying process biotoxins are created and those biotoxins have to be detoxified and a lot of biotoxins go through the glucuronidation pathway so that's one clue another clue is cbd oil is actually broken down by glucuronidation so sometimes if you're having cbd issues Could be a brain issue, but everyone I have in my practice that has glucuronidation issues struggles with higher dose CBD. So that can be a clue if it's not making sense why you're not tolerating CBD. If you feel worse with vitamin D, if you feel worse with vitamin A, those go through glucuronidation. I have people that are reacting a lot to vitamin D. And then when I went and checked, they had glucuronidation issues. A big clue is if bilirubin, which gets measured on a standard um, complete metabolic panel, it's a general test you get in a annual workup, if bilirubin stays chronically towards the top of the range, that's a specific glucuronidation issue, that bilirubin is a byproduct uh, of the liver and breaking down heme and if bilirubin stays up there it doesn't even have to be elevated just towards the top of the range that can be a clue of a specific glucuronidation issue and the reason i say specific one is there are a lot of glucuronidation enzymes not just one there's a whole bunch and it's a whole complex pathway so this is why if you're having these trouble this kind of trouble you know somebody knows this pathway that can map it out also if people reacting to estrogens um, even bioidentical or bioidentical um, progesterone could cause a problem. If people have elevated reverse T3, that goes through glucuronidation. And so if you're seeing your reverse T3 up
1: top of the range or above the range, you might want to check this pathway out. Wow. So much to think about. It's amazing. Now, can I, I have a patient. Can I ask a question about her?
0: i'd love it yeah let's talk it out
1: she uh, as Lyme, uh presented primarily with psychiatric symptoms uh, although uh, there were some other issues too physically but primarily psychiatric so finally got her diagnosed i said you know you really should check this out she was from the east coast and away in school What
0: kind of psychiatric symptoms?
1: Oh, you name it. (laughs) Like anxiety and
0: psychosis?
1: Yeah, severe anxiety, severe depression. I mean, she was on multiple meds. She had a counselor and a psychiatrist. I mean, just really, really struggling, not just a little bit of anxiety. It was major. Um, So she finally got diagnosed, uh, went on the protocol for Lyme disease, recovered amazingly well. And... She also at this point now has basically two symptoms that she's dealing with, two or three symptoms. So one of them is pretty severe fatigue in the afternoon, kind of cortisol kind of thing. Although her cortisol uh, levels have resolved uh, remarkably well. The other thing is when she's walking across uh, campus, she'll break out into a sweat, so any type of activity immediately produces a sweat. She does have night sweats as well. And the last most troubling thing is she has neuropathy, uh, hands and feet primarily, although sometimes it kind of crawls up her fingers and hands and and legs a little bit primarily. And sometimes it's just a tingling or numbness and then every once in a while it goes into pain. So we we, we have done her genetics and she has quite a few mutations in UGT, I'm sorry, 1A4, and UGT8, and some in PGM3.
0: If we back up a little bit, the UGTs are some of the specific enzymes involved in glucuronidation. So we have 13 different ones. And you can check your genetics. And McKay and I both use your genomic resource for genetic testing. It's one of the best Um, I think in my opinion, it's the best health oriented genetic test kit on the market. And so the whole glucuronidation pathway is mapped out. Um, you can get that tested in that kit. And then the PGM3 is one of the precursors to making these gluconeurides, which is what they're called, which is what actually binds to the toxins. So that could be, there could be a residual toxin, um, issue going on. I would check, you can check glucurate levels there's a couple labs that that check for that and also be sure to look at beta glucuronidase and so beta glucuronidase is tested in stool generally it can be tested in tests like the GI map or vibrant gut zoomer this is really important to look at with glucuronidation this enzyme called beta glucuronidase This is produced by bacteria in the gut. Our cells produce it also, but bacteria produce it in much higher amounts. And what that enzyme does is whatever good things glucuronidation has done with toxins to bind them up, beta-glucuronidase undoes it. So it uncouples the bond, and the toxins end up free-floating again. So anytime there's elevated beta-glucuronidase, that's where it's associated with issues with um, increased risk of estrogen-dependent cancers, because estrogens go through that pathway. But also all of these toxins that we're talking about get released again in the intestine. So it's like they went through the liver, they got bound up, they got um dumped into the intestine for excretion and then beta glucuronidase goes oh wait a minute gotta undo all of this and those toxins absorb back through the intestinal wall so when we're looking at glucuronidation we want to look at that piece of it as well and see if that uncoupling is happening i have another question for you mckay on this client of yours this patient of yours um does she tolerate intermittent fasting or low carb diet, or no. does she, she does not?
1: As a matter of fact, she eats frequently.
0: So that she's makes a, me wonder. She's a vegan. Since the cortisol levels were resolved, um, with what you're describing the psychiatric symptoms, that makes me wonder about the heme regulation and subclinical porphyria there. So that's often, involved in psychiatric symptoms and that's a whole nother topic for um probably another show but that's she that's has, something i might think right, of
1: she has been um anemic before so that strikes a little bit of theme although her heme pathways aren't nearly as variated as on the, the genetics others. yeah
0: so i often see people that have We can have two types of issues with that heme pathway. And the heme pathway is really critical in detoxification because it forms the base molecule for many of our detoxification enzymes, like all of the phase one CYP450 enzymes, for example, and also nitric oxide synthase and several other enzymes. So, that heme pathway is really critical. People can have genetic issues in that heme pathway, which is not as common. But that heme pathway will get shut down by toxins and by pathogens, the toxins from pathogens. So I see a lot of secondary
1: that makes heme a lot of issues. Sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's and not a genetic issue; it's a functional issue.
0: It can be a functional issue. So I'm just wondering about that, especially when people don't tolerate intermittent fasting, they don't tolerate low carb diets. I always look at could we have some subclinical porphyria going on
1: interesting interesting now you created a supplement for the glucuronidation pathway and is is that something I should be thinking about with her as well
0: possibly I would check that beta glucuronidase um Check those things like bilirubin, reverse T3, see if anything's looking elevated there, see if she matches the picture. And if so, this formula that I, the formula I designed for glucuronidation, really excited about this. There's nothing like this on the market and it's called glucuronidation assist. So it does have calcium deglucurate in it and that calcium deglucurate is what helps with elevated beta glucuronidase so if you see that ever on a stool elevated on a stool lab the calcium deglucurate is what helps there it's also used for women that have elevated estrogen levels and because again that calcium deglucurate will help reduce beta glucuronidase so it doesn't undo all of our good stuff with glucuronidation but then it also has some other supports in there that help with glucuronidation. So dandelion root, bean, elagic acid, rosemary extract, and astaxanthin. And it was really tricky formulating this because a lot of supplements, a lot of herbs and, um, that we could use, they may upregulate certain UGT enzymes, glucuronidation enzymes, and downregulate some of the others. So what I did was really go through all of the research on the herbal supports for glucuronidation and just pulled out the ones that support glucuronidation across the board. And so that's that product, glucuronidation assist. And that is available through functionalgenomicnutrition.com, as are McKay's really exciting nitric oxide <laughs> supplements that are available there as well. So all the nitric I oxide supplements. Yep. Blood. All the nitric oxide supplements up there, McKay's formulations. And then we've got an MC stabilizer,
1: which is a really. Mast cell, just to. In yeah. Case, in case you missed that.
0: Yeah, yeah. MC stands for mast cell, but we call it MC stabilizer. And super excited about that because we use the Chinese skull cap in there. The Bakelin is the. Um, Isolated extract that's really important, and that is a cell danger response modulator. So I'm super excited about that. And then we added some other things in that are very supportive and helpful for mast cells and mast cell reactions. So I see those formulas as going together for people who are doing detox work, who are working on Lyme, working on mycotoxins.
1: Now, are those supplements available directly to patients or only through? practitioners. Has that changed?
0: I believe they're just through practitioners,
1: Okay,
0: uh, but you could get them through McKay. You could get them through my practice, massal 360com And you can go onto that website, functionalgenomicnutrition.com and you can see everything that's available in that line and see the
1: ingredients. And all the ingredients, you have patients who go on there and just check it out and say, I really think I could use this. Yeah, I yeah. can't take this because it's got fill in the blank in it.
0: Exactly. And if it does, what's really neat is that the company creating these formulas that actually does the manufacturing, we can customize any of these formulas and so we can do personalized compounding if somebody for example says, "Well, I have a an allergy to rosemary." You know, then we can make a formula, glucuronidation formula for them and just take the rosemary out.
1: Yeah, that's going to be incredible and help so many people. And I'm really looking forward to, to being able to use that for my difficult patients who really are so sensitive to so many things. You know, you want to help them, but like you said, with you, you know, sensitive to so many, so many things, everything makes them sick.
0: And that's what I have often in my practice. I'd say 95, 95% of people are super sensitive. So often we start with single ingredients in my practice, really yeah. careful about the formula.
1: Small amounts, right?
0: So tiny, tiny amounts. I start with sprinkles and titrate up. And work so on you, the, can
1: you put that in the protocol. One sprinkle. I do
0: start with one sprinkle. It's,
1: it's effective. Very so does.
0: That's, that's what, you know, that's what got me well. That's how I had to start. And it really works. It's slow. And I have a saying in my practice that slow is fast and fast is slow. So if we try to go too fast, we're going to go backwards. It's better to go slow and steady. And that is really what makes a difference for super sensitive people and also checking those fillers and just super super careful about those fillers
1: one last comment i'm going to make and then let's wrap this up because i have capitalized way too much of your time and that is in chewing our body begins, to, I don't forget the exact names of it, I have to do better job memorizing stuff. Anyway, that's my own hang up, right? My ability to remember things, the technical names. The, the noun part of my brain is not functioning, I'm blaming it on Lyme. Anyway, <laughs> so when we chew, our immune system starts to get activated, but in the down-regulating side. So through our saliva and through our ch- chewing, body says okay here comes something down that we don't need to get excited about so th- that's something also for some of your people to take into consideration is like some of these herbs maybe should be in liquid form or and, or in water you know sprinkle like that and let it sit in your mouth for a little mm-hmm. bit and let your body begin to recognize it before you swallow it so that's you know and the whole that's the whole thing whether you know you're supposed to chew your food you know, drink your food and chew your water, kind of thing. But that right. helps. That helps the immune system get organized around acting in an appropriate way. And I'm terrible. I mean, I, I'm I'm like a I'm like a lab. I choke my food down.
0: <laughs> I I think that's a fantastic point, McKay. And that's something I tell people in my practice. Also, is when people are extremely reactive and then I say, well, I want you to open this capsule and start with a sprinkle. And I do a lot of remote consults on video conference, you know, and they give me this weird look like, seriously, you're going to have me open each one of these capsules. <laughs> like, what's that going to do? That's not going to help me. I'm like, actually, it will, because when your mast cells are dysregulated, then they're going to get fired up about anything coming at them. And if we can go with sprinkled amounts then what we have to do is slip under the door of this mast cell response with these things we know are going to help your body. And so we don't want mast cells reacting to Chinese skullcap or rosemary or whatever it is, Boswellia, that's going to help. But if we start with those little sprinkles, let it absorb in the mouth tissues, then the immune system will start to recognize it as friendly, and we can slowly build the amounts. Also, if somebody's going to have a reaction to something, I'd much rather have a reaction to a sprinkle than a whole capsule. So this is why I use a slow, steady approach. For people who are super sensitive, not everybody has to go that slow. But when people have had so, so many failures, I really like them to come in and get to have a lot of successes.
1: Better safe than sorry.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So let's wrap up here one last time. How can folks get in touch with you?
0: Sure. So you can go to my website at mastcell360.com. So mastcell is spelled M-A-S-T as in Tom, cell C-E-E-360.com. I've got a free root cause approach on there. So when you go to the website, you'll see, um, a pop-up that asks you if you want the root cause report, I highly recommend that because that's a root cause report that's going to apply if you have mass activation syndrome, if you have toxicity issues, most of your chronic health issues. And that takes you through the most common root causes. And if you don't see that pop-up, it's just at masscell360.com slash free report. So the most important thing I tell people is whatever's going on with your health, don't give up. It took me 15 years to find answers before we had all of this great knowledge that McKay's talking about, I'm talking about, before we knew what cell danger response is, before we knew what mass activation syndrome was. And the one thing that kept me going through is I knew there were answers out there and I didn't give up. And if you don't give up, you're going to find that. And the best approach that I've found is looking at these root cause pieces, doing the genetic analysis. And I've been able to get that percentage. We talked earlier at the beginning, McKay, about 40 to 80% getting benefit. I've gotten that up to 95% in my practice doing individualized approaches, which I think is really, really good. And we'd have it higher, but some people aren't ready to do the changes they want to do because this takes a lot of work. It's not a one pill kind of solution it takes quite a bit of work and it takes time but the people that are willing to do the work and put the time in we always find big puzzle pieces for them and help them get further down the
1: road with their health i have two clashing cookie cookie not cookie cutter fortune cookie sayings and one is when the teach when the student's ready the teacher appears and then the second one is, the wise person is sick of being sick. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think you summed that up very beautifully. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, McKay. I love these talks with you.
2: This was so cool. And I'm gonna emphasize once again, The biggest takeaway I think we can get from this interview with Beth is the best way to uh, manage these kind of autoimmune symptoms that you get with chronic infections like Lyme is to make sure you understand, like you personally understand what you need to do to detoxify your body. Yes. Create your own detox protocol.
1: Absolutely. Especially, you know, if your aunt If your sister, if your brother is healthy and they want to do a detox protocol, there's a lot of leeway, right? Their body's relatively healthy. They can handle, absorb some quote unquote mistakes. But if you're on a knife's edge and every little thing can make you feel worse or better, then it's really important to take it slow. And like she says, use sprinkles sprinkles of your supplements to begin with to give your body a chance to adjust to it. It's really important because otherwise, listen, everything you take in is irritating. It activates your histamine, your mast cells. It's just that normally the body can also then turn around and cool them off. But when you're in the cell danger response, you can't do that. And that's why it's so important to go slow and to get the detox part absolutely nailed down. Okay, and that reminds me, Detox is the very beginning part. Well, not the very beginning, but before you start going to kill bugs, you need to prepare, and that's part of our Lyme journey. If you want a graphic organizer representation to find out what you need to do, get your plan A, plan B ready for your detox. Remember, always have a plan B, you know, if you're going to do that yourself. Or you need to work with somebody with Beth who has plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. Anyway, you get the point. (laughs) I'm killing that. Go- Beat that you- dead horse.
2: <laughs> and she goes into a 1A, 1B. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I'm sure she does. Anyway, head on over to radio.com and you will see, if you hear the cat in the background, that is just, she's jonesing for food. We just fed her. We tried to get rid of her, but she found her way back into our Lime Ninja studio. And the dog snuffling underneath. Anyway, it's just a menagerie here. Sure. This what am I trying to say? LimeNinjaradio.com. Visit it. You can get a graphic organizer for our Lime Journey. It will give you the outline of what you need to do and the steps you need to do them. Timing is important. Also, if you need Beth's information, you can always go to LimeNinjaradio.com, click on her or search for her, you'll see the episodes and you'll see a previous, a link to a previous episode with her as well if you want to hear more yes. and to get all her contact information in one place.
2: Yep. And that was episode 229 if you want to.
1: Oh, good for you for remembering. Yeah. If you have feedback.
2: Uh And suggestions for guests, really anything, send an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com.
1: And if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss one single episode.
2: And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app. It helps us reach more people like you.
1: And last, as you long-time Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the lime ninja fact of the day
2: did you know ninjas take meteor showers in the morning just to freshen up